This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. We're filling space, Caitlin. Caitlin Cooper joins me. Pascal Siakam is an Indiana Pacer. Uh, big package will kind of suss out how big. There's a lot of moving parts in this, but Pascal Siakam, no longer a Toronto Raptor. The guy who hit the championship winning shot, the floater over Draymond Green, put his hand in the cookie jar, but the cookie jar wasn't there. Two-time All-NBA, two-time All-Star, and... Um, Franchise icon, no longer a member of the Raptors. Coming back, let's read everything off because there is a hodgepodge. <clears throat> From Adrian Wojnarowski, Pascal Siakam goes to the Indiana Pacers. Coming back, Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, and three first-round picks to the Toronto Raptors. New Orleans will be a third team in the deal, sending Keir Lewis to the Raptors. So, we don't know who else is leaving the Raptors at this point. I assume because of the roster spot situation that, you know, maybe it's Otto Porter Jr. or something. This is speculation, though, for anybody listening. That's not certain. So the Pacers, if anybody's interested about the picks that are going out, the 2024 first round picks will be Indiana's own and the worst of Utah, Houston, Clippers, OKC. It's a hodgepodge, but that's what it is. And the Pelicans will also send a 2024 second round pick to the Pacers in this three team deal. And the Pacers also send their 2026 first-round pick to the Raptors. We have it so far. Caitlin, what is your initial lean on this? I'm thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've wanted one of these Raptors wings on the Pacers for over a year and a half. I've been strongly supportive of this move. My only thing holding me back on the Pascal thing was just because I had seen how Sabonis was used for roughly two months on the prior core. And that that was a little bit concerning because his role was a tad bit whack. He wanted to play out of triangle concepts. Rick Carlisle doesn't want to play out of triangle concepts. That said, I think in the Tyrese era, they've been a lot more amenable to letting players be themselves. And I think that Pascal solves several of the problems that have been ongoing for the Pacers this season. So, um, What do you think about who they sent back? What do you think about the Raptors situation now from the outside looking in? Yeah, I mean, now that the deal's done, I'll let people know that if it was going to be a matching salary between Bruce Brown and Buddy Heald, I would have preferred it to be Bruce Brown. I like both players for different reasons, but I want to see Pascal Siakam and Buddy Heald on the same team. I think that that is going to be highly complimentary for Pascal. I'll ask you, is Buddy the best movement shooter that Pascal has ever played with? I would assume. I don't think that this is a super high bar to clear, but... There's... Fred Van Vliet for a couple of years was pretty crazy and he had hot runs, but Buddy has just been so exceptional for so long that it, it just has to be Buddy. Yeah, he's he's great. He's underrated. And I know that there's stuff about, you know, Buddy is also an expiring. What does it look like into the future? But what I like from this point of view, from the Pacers point of view, is this seems like it's a bet on this year. Obviously, Buddy is expiring. Pascal's expiring, but they look at this team. They say, we're a cool team. We play good basketball. Let's try and win something. And like, how many wins do you get deep in the playoffs? What does it look like? You have to figure things out. But it's a, I love when teams who aren't just like de facto contenders say, let's punch up and let's see where we get. Um, I, I think it's a really cool roster. I think they're going to play really cool basketball. And I'm quite happy for you and... Pascal Siakam will get the best coverage he's maybe ever had over in Indiana. So I don't know pretty good. That, but... He he does jump pass a decent amount of time. His just usually come starting like above the free throw line all the time and typically go to the wing. But yeah. As long as they're not into the hands of the defender, I think we're I think we're good. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Okay. Raptors point of view now. It's a little weak. 
in my opinion. Now, I know like three first round picks sounds really big. We'll see how this kind of all shakes out. I don't know, Indiana, maybe that ends up being like the, for this season, the 23rd, 22nd pick somewhere in there. It, maybe it could go a little bit higher. Maybe it gets a little bit lower. Um, the worst of Utah, Houston, Clippers, OKC is not going to be good. But for this season, at least the Raptors going into this draft, if they don't get their own, they're currently in the sixth worst. So they would have their pick this year that went to San Antonio's top six protected. Depends on how Memphis plays it out. If they don't get their own pick this year, they'll have Indiana's, which will probably be low 20s. They'll have probably mid-20s or low-20s, the other pick, and they'll have a the 31st pick or 32nd pick in the second round with Detroit. That gives them a lot of room to pivot, to pivot and try things from a roster-building standpoint that they've wanted to do for quite some time. That is what the Raptors get out of all of this. And Bruce Brown, I think, while has some duplicative um, skill sets to Scotty Barnes, I think that he can fit quite well on this team. And I don't really know what's going to happen with his contract situation and all that kind of stuff. But I think Bruce Brown is like a quality rotation player. I think that he can make sense on the Raptors. And Jordan Wara, Kira Lewis, or Kyra, I can't remember exactly how it's pronounced. We'll see what happens with that. I still think it's an underwhelming return for Pascal Siakam. But that doesn't mean that the Raptors aren't in a good position to carve ahead, build their team around Scotty, around IQ, and see what they want to be and who they kind of want to build their team into going forward. Does that strike you as kind of like true and the overall, is that your overall sentiment looking at the Raptors now? I think if I was a Raptors fan and just like to take this to a Pacers example, when it became very clear that the Sabonis, Turner, Brogdon, Levert core was stale and that they were going to be moving on, by all reports, they were planning to move Miles and not Sabonis. Obviously, Tyrese becomes available. They strike while the iron's hot but Sabonis had two years left on his deal so that made a deal like that a little bit more possible so if I was a Raptors fan looking at this I would be very curious to know what I would have been getting if they had done this a year ago instead of believing in themselves a little too much and going in for Pirtle and if they had done it over the summer which I mean Pascal probably put hampered that a little bit because he was indicating that he wasn't going to assign extensions places but I'm guessing that situation would have been different from the standpoint of other teams if this had happened last year not yeah, now i feel i feel quite confident that the raptors have seen better packages than what they've traded for tonight yeah. or today and on top of that too like i was sitting here i went to niagara falls with my friends last year in early february it was like 3 a.m they trade for yaka Pertle. i make my little video and i say i don't think this team is good enough to justify this trade and they weren't and now you know og's no longer raptor Fred's no longer a Raptor. Pascal's no longer a Raptor. And I guess we'll see what happens with it. But yeah, my, my initial lean is like when I look at this and I felt extremely impressed after, you know, Masai and Bobby were able to get IQ and RJ Barrett out of New York. And I thought like, wow, this is this is pretty impressive. Like they threaded the needle really impressively for like OG going out on an expiring IQ and RJ coming back in. And RJ with like more potential than he'd been showing IQ with more potential and restricted this one. And, you know, you made the comp to Demonis Sabonis. There's no Tyrese Halliburton in this trade and, and there, it's not close really. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Bruce Brown is good. I like Bruce Brown. He'll play good basketball, but it's just not close. The Raptors may walk away from this and given, you know, that their drafting history as of recently hasn't been super, super strong. They could walk away with it from this without like a blue chip coming back from Pascal Siakam, who is to date the franchise's best development story. One of the most, you know, has some like the most accolades short of a couple players to ever play a top five ever player for the franchise. And no Jairus Walker, no Nemhard, no Matherin. I mean, I understand why you're gassed on it. You know, the Indy, they did pretty well in this trade. I guess we can swing back to that point of view. Um, Indiana, the fit. Let's talk about Pascal. 
there's two, which we'll get into when you hop over to my side. There's two major issues that the Pacers have had all year. The one being that more and more teams are scheming to take Tyrese out of the offense. So people saw that in the in-season tournament, a lot of trapping from the Lakers. Not every team's going to be as successful as the Lakers were with that because not every team's going to have Anthony Davis coming up with the screener and have as much length as what Cam Reddish was showing Tyrese. There's other teams that have tried to blitz Tyrese and it hasn't been that effective. But there are other teams that have face-guarded him all the way up the floor and forced Bruce Brown or forced Nemhard or forced you know, whoever the secondary ball handler is to be doing a lot more initiation. Then they get very physical with Tyrese. Tyrese has to be a screener. And if you deny him the ball, then you're forcing other teammates to have to get you to the next action, which is something that Orlando was very good at. So being able to have Pascal out there, so it's not just, hey, we're trying, we're fine playing four on four. We're fine if Drew Holiday's standing on the logo with Tyrese. And if the rest of you guys do something, that's good. I think that Pascal addresses that pretty nicely for the Pacers. And also just like what we're talking about with Buddy Heald, use Buddy Heald as a ghost screener, use Buddy Heald as inverted pick and roll for Siakam. I think that Siakam's pretty good when he gets doubled from the bottom of the defense, and he's not going to be getting doubled near as much from the top of the defense on this particular roster. I'm pretty giddy with the idea of playing him in lineups with Tyrese and Buddy and Neesmith and Miles all at the same time. He's, he's one of the best players in all of the NBA as far as like not giving up the dribble and drawing doubles out farther for somebody who's low to create those like high-low feeds. Um, he's really impressive, and he's been drawing a ton of doubles from the top, and it hasn't been Tyrese Halbert. Like, just, we talked about this before, but just, like, putting Pascal, he's not the first option. It's Tyrese. You're running your offense. Rick has to figure out how to, you know, get everybody involved. But just, like, having a counter of, like, Pascal, go sit your ass on a block, carve out some space, throw it in. We'll put Buddy Heald on the same side. Where do you double from? Okay, just that that first thing. If you double from the top, dead. Okay, and if they try and like play it and pull guys from somewhere else and Tyrese is one pass over, I okay, then you make the one pass over. Who are they pulling from? And you let Tyrese figure it out, beating a defense that's already compromised as they've doubled and stretched themselves too thin. It's that simple and that's on top of like already a really fantastic offense so it gives them a really intuitive counter to a lot of different things it also helps that pascal you know his he went from being like the 19 percent three-point shooter to you know took a few weeks but now he's at 32 percent which is a lot more passable and indicates that like he didn't fall off the cliff as hard as you know it might have seemed because he's still gonna have to hit some catch and shoot threes in indiana but that stuff is like really great. It gives him, you know, he's always had that point to wing pass in transition as well to Fred, to Kyle, all that kind of stuff. We talked about, you know, ghost screening. That's the the championship winning floater. He ghosted a screen from Kyle Lowry, split into space, beat Draymond Green in space and hit the floater. Like there's just a bunch of stuff you can do. And... Do you I mean, know what team leads the league in non-contact screens per 100 possession? Is it the Indiana Pacers? <laughs> it happens to be, yes. Yes, it does. So the other main issue, which I'm sure you'll have thoughts on, I wrote a pretty long article. I don't. I think it's unlocked. Is called The Pacers Keep Winging It Against Wings. So I became pretty convinced about two months into the season that the main defensive issues for the Pacers were not going to be able to be fixed because they've tried two very polar opposite defensive schemes over the last two years and been a bottom five defense. Now, over this like last month, they, they have made improvements. They're still not a good defense, but they've made improvements. There are certain matchups that they are just not going to have an answer for. And I know from watching Pascal lately that the term that you use, I would use a soul tax. You have used quiet quitting. <laughs> I think some of the defense will get better. I know that there's been overall drop off from him, but when I'm watching two nights ago and they're defending the Utah Jazz from the tip, defending Laurie Markinen with Andrew Nemhard, and then when Andrew Nemhard comes out of the game, they're defending him with Buddy Heald. The bar to clear to be better than those two in that particular matchup is basically a piece of cheese. That's how high you have to clear. So, thoughts on Pascal Siakam defending opposing big wings so the big wings should be pretty comfortable for him now uh, pascal has always in, over the past you know few years has really slowed down as like a big big garter 
he gave it his all for like two months of the 2021-22 season, but then he just started like, I'm not going to hang in with these guys. I'm getting killed. That was kind of, you know, the defense changed for him in that way. And he's been more effective guarding smaller players and like wings and guards out on the perimeter. That's been more successful for him. Um, the big thing that dropped off for Pascal to, to me wasn't the one-on-one stuff. It was the help side commitment because a lot of times you'll see Pascal, if he's on the same side, he will swipe or stunt swipe or stunt. Not a lot of times will he get in there with conviction and getting in there with conviction can lead to fouls, injuries, all that kind of stuff. And then also when he's the low man, not just like getting in the gap, but also like getting to the spot getting up, jumping to contest, he's been a lot lower on those than he used to be. Think of like Pascal Siakam, 2018 to 2021, 22. He's a guy who will wildly swing over and like meet guys at the apex. That just hasn't been something he's been doing. There's a bit of loss of athleticism there, but a lot of it I think is just controlling for injuries, controlling for health. He's a guy who has been one of the most, you know, you talked about a soul tax, but the real tax is that Prior to this season, he was the most overplayed, overused player in the NBA and a guy who had shoulder surgery and two separate groin injuries. And so like and still managed to be the most overworked player in the NBA. Like he missed the season where he led the NBA in closeouts, in isolations and minutes per game was also the season that he missed the start of the season because he had shoulder surgery. So he's been overtaxed. He's been doing like a ton of stuff. If there's any like. If you're hoping that it was soul tax, quiet quitting or whatever, it should be pretty evident right away. And even if he is still quietly quitting, taxed on his soul and recovering, I expect it just because of the sheer size and his movement capabilities to be an immediate improvement to how they've been attacking a lot of their matchups recently. Does that suffice as a... I mean, yeah, the Pacers didn't have anybody to guard Pascal Siakam, so now they have Pascal Siakam. (laughs) But, I mean, another little interesting element of this, which, again, we'll get into more of it on my channel slash Patreon, is that what if I told you that a lot of times the Pacers don't have a low man in their defense? Then he's going to be totally jazzed. And what if I told you that they have the lowest closeout rate in the NBA because they stay home? on the three-point line like literally their closeouts per 100 possessions are the lowest in the nba by a wide margin well i think uh that fits pretty well because pascal has really turned into like a contain type of player he prefers contain a lot more than anything else that's he's a conservative defender on ball he tries to contain he's not trying to create turnovers so that's inherent that's intuitive can i be greedy now and ask yeah, you to, because from the Raptors' point of view, everyone just who likes, you know, draft stuff, and you and I always talk around draft season, and we will again, but um, there's not that many players to talk about. And as far as, like, you you get, from your point of view, you get to be like, Pascal Siakam, how does he fit? There's a lot of different machinations, permutations. Bruce Brown, sell me, elevator pitch, and then we'll dive deeper. Yeah, my only concern when the Pacers signed Bruce Brown over the summer, my only very mild one, was that it would squeeze out Andrew Nemhard. Because Nemhard last year had gone from being a second-round pick to a key starter, and there's some overlap skill set-wise between the two of them. Can so I, wait, I, I'm so sorry. Can I just say quickly, because I haven't said it yet, mm-hmm. I'm so disappointed Nemhard isn't in this trade. Like I'm so happy that he gutted. isn't included in this trade. Schroeder one of the a, most... Shooter's not going to be around forever, and Shooter has been really good. They've run like a lot of good two guard lineups between Shooter and IQ. But like Emmanuel quickly and Nemhard, as far as like a backcourt, they actually fit really well. Mm-hmm. I'm so disappointed. Defensively, come back. they comp- they would complement each other so much. Yeah, because IQ is so good off ball, and Andrew is so sticky. You know, ah, I really and- wanted Nemhard. Andrew is the most complete defender on the Pacers roster. And he's the most impactful defender by the numbers. That also checks out. So anyways, back to Bruce Brown. <laughs> <laughs> that was my only concern, that he would squeeze Andrew's role a bit. 
because TJ is still on the roster. Now, the first game of the year, Andrew was the backup point guard, and they had indicated that they told TJ McConnell, like, this was the hardest conversation Rick Carlisle said he had ever had with a player, that he told TJ, like, you're going to be out of the rotation, at least for that game against the Wizards. Then two games later, TJ was playing again. And it's been a little bit back and forth between TJ, Andrew, TJ, Andrew, because Bruce, being the highest paid player on the roster, is the starter. So Bruce's role has been a little bit more like Denver Bruce with the Pacers than I would say it's been like Brooklyn Bruce, if that makes sense. So in Denver, it was a lot more transition and him doing some as the pick and roll ball handler. Whereas with Brooklyn, there was times where he was like the de facto five because he was being checked by the weakest defender. So he would do some more as the role man. Now the Pacers will get to that for like Raptors fans who remember the Pacers Raptors game. That was not a matchup for Jakob Pertl. So they cross-matched Pirtle initially onto Toppin, and the Pacers were like, oh, we'll just roll Toppin. Then they were like, okay, that's not working. We'll cross-match him onto Bruce Brown, and eventually the Pacers were like, oh, yeah, we can roll Bruce Brown too. So you didn't see a lot of that, but there were certain matchups where it was advantageous for the Pacers. In the in-season tournament, they did that in the second half to try to get around Anthony Davis's length on those traps. They stopped using Miles Turner as the screener, went to empty side pick and roll with Bruce Brown. It's easier to throw the ball over the top of Bruce Brown's defender and Bruce Brown than it is with the center coming up to set the screen. So I would say that like my 20,000 foot view to give to Raptors fans on Bruce is he pretty much just solidly does what he needs to do in a game. And he's going to be a good veteran around younger players, I think as well. But there was, I never wrote a full article on Bruce this season. I never got done watching a game and it was like, that was something so remarkable that I want to point that out. Like if, if you, get where I'm coming from with that. Now he did have his best game of the year, like two games ago when he got his championship ring against Denver. He was really terrific in that game. He's going to be good in transition. The Raptors lead the league in transition frequency. He finishes quite well there. You can throw the ball ahead to him or he can bring it up. He has a nice push cross to get to the rim. His handle, I think is probably a little bit underrated in transition situations in the half court. It's a little bit dicey if he has to go to his left, if I'm being honest, but yeah, I mean, he's a utility player. So great signing for the Pacers because he contributed while he was playing for them. And now he becomes the means to getting a second star without having to give up Buddy Heald. So that's crazy. Anyway, that's a tidy little piece of business. I'll tell you that much. Um, so Bruce is also not a catch and hold guy. That's a big positive, I think. Like, yeah. it, you know, when put in the right situations, I think that he he can be a guy who carries advantage provided that he's a lot of times below the break. Now, sometimes if he's above the break and it hits him, you know, the defense can see that as an opportunity to catch up, like be soft at his closeout, yeah. catch up behind. I don't know exactly how the Raptors are going to use him. They've been pretty, like, clever in how they've run a lot of stuff. Um, they've They immediately made, like, they made a ton of utility out of R.J. Barrett, and R.J. Barrett, has been like fantastic with his own decision making Darko I think has put guys especially since the start of the season till now after that first little run has put guys in really good positions I'm excited to see how Bruce turns out with all this kind of swirling around and you know I, I see people in the chat suggesting that Bruce is going to get moved on Nora's going to get brought bought out Kyra Lewis whatever happens there hasn't been any reporting that I've seen yet about any other I don't know uh, what's going to happen after this, but uh, I guess we'll see. There's not a lot to talk about from the Raptors' point of view of like on-court stuff. There is a there is a comment from Mike Byers though that I will say: "Quote: Pascal has held Masai hostage the last two years. Good riddance with a good return." End quote. This is something I talked about beforehand. Pascal Siakam could have been traded at any point in time. Pascal Siakam doesn't have a no trade clause. Pascal Siakam didn't ask out. Pascal Siakam didn't say he wanted to be anywhere else. Nobody has been held hostage. Pascal Siakam has no rights as an NBA player to deny a trade. Um, I disagree with that. And that's been a prevailing narrative I've seen everywhere across the fan base. Just because you want your team to get a good return doesn't mean Pascal Siakam's job as the player who hasn't asked out, who shows up to work, who does all this kind of stuff, is suddenly meant to be treated with indifference by the front office, as reported, to be have shots taken at him in the like in open spoken media, as reported, 
to take all that kind of stuff and to also like kowtow and facilitate the best trade for the Toronto Raptors. Like what is asked of an NBA player who can just be traded anywhere? Part of his salary, you know, he gets 37 or $38 million a year to play basketball, to play basketball, not to also be like the front office helper to Masai and Bobby and be like, I just want you guys to have the best situation for you. That's, that's unreasonable. And that's, that's a prevailing narrative I've seen. So just wanted to shut that down. But here's the thing. Jordan Laura. Can we talk about Jordan? Thoughts? Jordan, when he came over from the trade from Milwaukee last year, the Pacers were starting to pivot towards development mode pretty shortly after that because they just never regained the same quote-unquote magic that they had. They had won eight of ten games with Tyrese and made a starting lineup change. Then Tyrese got hurt. They went one of nine, and they just never really regained that same momentum. So after they made that deal, he was getting a lot more minutes than he would have been getting in Milwaukee. Also, when you're playing with Chris Middleton and you're playing with Giannis and you're playing with Brooke Lopez, even when he was out on the court, he wasn't getting to do much besides just spot up around those guys. So there's actually an article that I wrote that was called uh, Jordan Wara and the very good and the almost always good play. So I talked about it with you last year in yeah. March. They started running chin pick and roll for Wara with a shake action on the backside. So like a guy lifting from the corner, if people don't know what I'm referring to there. And he made a lot of good plays out of it. Like I almost knew every time they ran that he's going to make the correct read. He set the franchise record for most points in a quarter against the Hawks last year. Tyrese tied it in a game against the Hawks this year, but he's capable of heating up. He has more. He's not just a score. Like he does have some passing capability. He can make some connective reads defensively. He's a little bit interesting because two games I would point out, they played the Mavericks last year and he was the primary assignment on Luca, which was intriguing. Um, he was able to hold on some against Luca because Luca moves at that more slow, methodical pace, and he against a big body, he's okay. Now, the second to the last game of the year against the New York Knicks, of which the Toronto Raptors have the scouting report from, between the Pacers and the Knicks, um, <laughs> Emmanuel quickly hunted Jordan Wara relentlessly during that fourth quarter. Just possession after possession after possession. And he was at the top of that scouting report to be the person that they went after. And there were times last year where the Pacers were doing some peel switching in the game against the Raptors, for instance, where Fred Van Vliet was like, hey, I'm going to call for the four man to come set a screen, get War on ball. Now I'm going to call for Miles. And now I have four or five pick and roll. And War was just like, well, I'm just going to peel. And he was a bit complacent with it. So defensively, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Offensively, he can lose his filter sometimes. If he gets a little bit hot, he's going to keep shooting. But I do think that there's more to him than what you would have seen with the Pacers this year. It's just that they traded for Obi Toppin. They play Aaron Neesmith at the four. They like small lineups. And then all three of their centers were performing for them. So that's what kind of turned Jalen back into a four. But I think that you might – like the Pacers liked Wara. Like they liked him headed into the season. They liked him during training camp. They just, they're very deep on rotation players. It's hard for them to get everybody minutes. So I think in part this was probably them being like, hey – we like you. We want to get you an opportunity for minutes. They're pretty cooperative with players in that regard and getting them to places where they'll have opportunities and where they might go when they do trades. So I'm going to take a second here, 27 minutes in of basketball talk. I have just posted a link in the YouTube chat. It is to Caitlin's Patreon page. If anybody's listening and thinks that page, uh, Caitlin sounds intelligent and smart, you share that feeling. Who's going to think that? <laughs> you share that feeling with NBA players, NBA coaches, the best analysts in the world. She is the best basketball writer in the world. If you'd like to support her and follow Pascal Siakam's work as he changes teams for the first time in his career, or maybe you just like the Pacers, you've discovered it here. Maybe you just want to support the best writer in the world. You can go to Caitlin Cooper and type in Patreon, and that is the best writer covering basketball in the world. Quick plug. Oh, here we are now. Do you want to reminisce at all on Pascal Siakam with me? Of Talk course, about it. yeah. So what's, what's the term? A eulogy for the death of a career as a Raptor? Uh, off the top of your head, any favorite moments watching Pascal Siakam from the outside? Yeah, my favorite moments last year from the Pacers, the screenshot that I sent you. And that's why I think that this trade is so amazing. Because he operates like a piece of paper sliding through a crack in a door. And now that door has been kicked all the way wide open. And all he has to do is step and spin his way through it. 
that's my favorite thing about watching Pascal is the methodical way that he finds little advantages along the way of his path. Because if you look at his blow by rate on synergy, it's not good. Like if that's just the number you are looking at to judge who he is as a player, he's not getting past players. He's finding advantages to get to his spot. And he's a wizard in that regard. That's why I felt stronger about Pascal's his, how he ages, I suppose, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people are worried about that because he, I don't know what his blow by rate looks like across the years, but he used to be, that first step used to be more rapid. That second, third step used to come quicker, but groin injuries, a really heavy workload over the past few years, you know, that's kind of how it's situated, but he is so crafty and so non-reliant on athleticism inside the arc now where he's almost shooting 60% from the field this season, you know, and has done so against bad spacing, has done so against a lot of doubles, and now will have more room to operate than he's had since Kyle Lowry was a Toronto Raptor, and even, like, farther back than just when Toronto was there in the Tampa season. So to see him have an opportunity to just kind of boogie-woogie, I mean, it should be pretty cool and I hope he keeps hitting, you know, catch and shoot threes so that there's not awkward, like, catch and hold situations. And he just kind of keeps the, you know, the defense and offense both moving as he has been over the past, like, month and a half where he's been probably a top three wing scorer in the NBA when you combine points per game, assists, and efficiency. Um, if you account for all those things, Pascal, not only has he been, like, one of the best scoring wings in the league over the course of this season, even during his, you know, career worst shooting slump, but especially once that kind of turned around, he's been just unbelievable. My favorite is obviously the championship winning shot. That that to me is extremely cool to come out the next year, sign his max extension, and then you get, you know, the huge opening game against the New Orleans Pelicans where he and Fred just both went crazy. It signaled really quickly that he could be the lead scorer on a very good team, a team that was winning at a 60-win pace before the pandemic. Um, unfortunately for him, he was he was a player who respected, you know, Canada's more strict pandemic COVID-era laws than America had, and he didn't have access to playing basketball during all that kind of stuff. Came into the bubble in a funk didn't play his best offensive basketball in the bubble, was still one of the best defenders in the NBA during it. And unfortunately, for a lot of people, I think that bubble stint helped define a large part of his game. But the truth is that he has a massive, mammoth playoff run with the Toronto Raptors as the second-slash-third option along Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry and was a linchpin in their defense. Just massive during that run huge 26 and 10 in the final game of the finals 32 points on what like 14 of 17 shooting in game one completely undid Draymond Green repeatedly and anybody else who you know answered the call to guard him and then also I think had a, a pretty impressive like 23 8 and 6 playoff series against you know the 76ers where Fred Van Vliet was injured Scotty Barnes was injured Gary Trent Jr. was injured and you want to talk about being doubled from the bottom or the top, he got both sometimes all at once. And hell of a player from New Mexico State, 27th overall, to everything that he accomplished. Thank you, Pascal. And also just like a guy I really like talking to, um, a guy who is like a consummate pro, who was always like kind to his teammates, who's always kind to the people he interacted with, always gave a lot of himself to the city. And now... He's in Indiana, where he may give a lot of himself again. It's a big, like, it is weird to cover this team for so long. You know, not that I'm, like, the most seasoned reporter. I know there's, like, Doug Smith and, like, you know, a lot of the Raptors beat is, like, 55-plus at this point. I'm not quite there. But it's it was cool to interact with these guys over time and cool to, like, you know, chat with them and see them accomplish things and, while since I moved to Toronto, the team hasn't been accomplishing that much. Um, it's weird to see, you know, Pascal is considered maybe, I know Chris Boucher is still there, but he's like the last bastion of a championship team, of a championship era. 
And now, you know, Coco in chat, I use the term eulogy. Uh, they said uh, perhaps use the term commemoration. Seems a little bit better. You know, nobody's nobody's dying here. Um, yeah, there it is, I'm a commemoration for Pascal. Oh, another one. Last year, when he had that really big game against the Sixers that went to overtime, I think the Raptors lost that game. Did they go on to win that game or did they lose it? Uh, I'll have to look. Doesn't really matter. But the yeah. point being is they're in that overtime, and I remember that over and over and over again, they kept running the same weave play. It was really not creating any advantages for him, but he had a huge scoring night. And after that game, I don't know if you're going to remember this, but I DM'd you and I was like, if you write something about Pascal in that game, you must send it to me because I want to read it. I don't know if you did write anything about it or not, but then a few nights later, he had his 50-point game in the garden, and you wrote your piece about water finding its source, and you sent me that, right. which was a terrific article. So that will be another one of my favorite memories of Pascal. It's just watching him have to care. It was like sometimes last season, it was like watching him having to go, to use the phrase, uphill to school both ways in the snow without any shoes. And he was able to carry and do that. And he's probably going to have to do that for a little bit of time before Tyrese Halliburton comes back from this hamstring injury. <laughs> yeah, he should. But he'll should. have a little bit more shooters around him in this particular instance. And speaking of, you know, finding water, he perhaps has found water in Indiana and will help them tread it. Um, that's the, the hope. MFD says, seeing the reports that the Raptors told Pascal they wouldn't offer him the Supermax, even if he qualified, is doing cosmic damage to my soul as a Raptors fan. Why the callous treatment of this man? Go even one further. Pascal was not qualifying for the Supermax. He won't. Uh, he couldn't even get the regular Max. So, you know, that was the interaction I had with Masai on Media Day that had a lot of hubbub because the term selfishness kept being used a lot to describe players in the ether you know nobody nobody in particular and on top of that you know they said we believe in pascal and they keep saying this kind of stuff and i thought well it's kind of incongruent most players who are up for max extensions in pascal's situation with his track record get that offer the the raptors not offering him that and it's okay for them not to offer that they don't have to you know you can try and like Kawhi Leonard, for example, signed for less than the max over the next three years. You, you don't have to agree on that kind of stuff. But I thought it was interesting, the words they were using, how it was incongruent with the behavior. So then I asked Masai about it, asked a follow-up. And they talked about how they wanted Pascal to kind of prove he fits, do all this kind of stuff. And I think that Pascal, at least in the offense, especially turning things around with his three-point shot, coming in averaging per 36 basically the exact same stats as he did last season while taking like 30 less touches a game uh, and doing so on 60% true shooting, he proved he can fit into the offense that Darko wanted. And yes, the, the Darko, as far as like, as far as like what Darko wanted to use Pascal as, it changed over the course of the season. I'm not sure, but you know, it's it's been impressive to see him and just so i wanted to give a stat because there's been a lot of stuff about pascal's clutch gene even this year we get pascal in clutch time 61 percent from the floor and crazy crazy 85 percent from three he hit a lot of clutch threes this season and now he's off to indiana pretty wild yeah big player and you know, the clutch thing, Tyrese typically has the ball at the end of those moments anyway, so I'm not super concerned by it. If people think that that is going to be a concerning element, I'm not I'm not overly concerned about it. So, I'm, so YG7 says, Grange said Pascal turned down a max because he wanted to go for the super max. I haven't seen that report. I will say that Grange also said before the season started, when he was on the Raptors show, that Pascal and his camp would leap at accepting the base max so i don't know i conflicting reports there from the same guy so i don't know and regardless i don't i mean just as an outsider's opinion i'm not offering any uh insights and reporting here but i don't really understand the perspective of waiting to find out if an all nba caliber player fits a coach i'd sign him to that extension first and if it doesn't work then i move him from a position of strength with years on the deal 
that was a very odd order of operations for me. Can I, can I ask you then, Pascal, do you think that, because that's kind of like, I've seen the, the conversation I had a million different ways, a million different ways. Pascal, some people talk themselves into the idea of like, if Pascal signs, he becomes like a depreciating asset, right? He's old, he's no good, all that kind of stuff. He's not worth a max. Then they think like he'll be in the same position as like Zach Levine is now, for example, where, you know, there's reports that you might have to attach an asset to Zach to get rid of him. There's that point of view. And then there's the point of view that you just expressed. That is, well, if you have Pascal under team control, he's all NBA caliber player, at least all star, something like that. However you want to slice it, um, you can trade from a point of strength. Do you think that's like, which do you think is more accurate at this point? I mean, I'm sorry, but I can't believe that this deal from that perspective that Pascal got just just got traded without Ben Jarris or Nemhard being included. Like a week ago, there was people suggesting that two of those players might go out. And I thought that was also absurd. I'm like, if I'm the Pacers, I'm not sending two of those guys. Like that would be a no, especially if I don't have express knowledge that he will definitely resign, although it sounds like they're pretty confident that he will. But from that perspective alone, of course, hindsight is 2020. But if it were me and I were in that front office, I would have prioritized the All-NBA player. And if it didn't work, I would have looked for deals later. I wouldn't have gotten to this place. But that's just my opinion. I was I was pretty surprised that he got to this place, to be quite honest. I don't, you know, I, I don't think I buy into, you know, it's very tough if you're not like Woj or Shams and you're helping suppress player contracts and salaries or whatever the hell they do as newsbreakers. Um, if you're not one of those guys, <laughs> you know, uh, if you're not one of those guys, I find it's very difficult to actually get the, like the temperature of the league and agents and everything where you could say they mistreated Pascal. This speaks to other players about how Toronto is going to behave or something. You know how like some franchises become like, oh, you don't want to go there. And there's also agent relationships, all that kind of stuff. For anybody who cares, I'm pretty sure Andrew Nemhard and Pascal Siakam have the same agent. Just as they like do. Mentioned. They have the same agent. There you go. Um, for anybody who's like who does that, because I have friends who do that. They say all oh, these guys have the same agent, all this kind of stuff. And as we know, agents have become more of a pillar in the NBA, and to like help facilitate success for their clients, you can use that as a means to kind of circumnavigate certain CBA talk situations, of course, um, if you so choose. And I don't know what this signals about the Raptors, but I think that the Pacers got themselves a very healthy helping of talent without giving up that much. Now, I don't think the Raptors are in a bad position. This is kind of what we talked about at the start of the season, most often with Trey, was that Scotty making the leap that he did and has been making kind of papers over a lot of the, you know, transactional decision-making that the Raptors have kind of failed on recently. Um, all that kind of stuff. However, they didn't make the best trade possible, probably, over the past couple of years. And so, if you were to say, in my mind, you look at like the Warriors' proposed deals prior to the 2021 draft, you look at the Cavaliers' deal that didn't really get reported on, that I had heard about, which was, you know, the Raptors trying to move up to number three. It would have been Pascal would have been going to Cleveland for the Raptors to move up one spot. That was the package. They and you know, Colin Sexton, et cetera. That kind of stuff. You you'd have to weigh the past couple of years of success or lack thereof from having Pascal on the Raptors. But like, yeah, you look at this team and you say, Man, you didn't get a lot back for Pascal. It's disappointing. But they aren't a very good team this year. They're not trading from a place of strength. And MFD says 1% like to viewer ratio. Folks, help these two basketball maestros get some much-deserved eyes on their work. Like the video. It's right there. It's free. Help suggest it to other people. And it's just like, just click it. It's right there. Um, YG7 says, we're finally a rebuilding team. The direction is clear. But this was a textbook example of how to mismanage an asset. Ali Dez says, you guys are blinded by your love for Pascal Siakam. Of course, we wanted him to stay, but this had to happen. And this is actually a great haul for an expiring unrestricted free agent. I think expiring unrestricted free agent undersells Pascal Siakam probably. But I think that 
this isn't like a total loss for the Raptors. Like I said at no. the top, you're looking at they have a slew of picks this year that will help them immediately rebuild a roster in the image of how they want. Like they can immediately start pairing skill sets around how they want to build Scotty and IQ. They can immediately make like a big pivot, but the pieces they have aren't that strong to pivot with. And if they had made this Pascal Siakam decision at a sooner time, perhaps had a better idea of how they wanted to move going forward, perhaps they could have had stronger, a stronger foundation to pivot from stronger places to select from all that kind of stuff. I'm, it's not like a total loss because the Raptors still have IQ, Scotty Barnes. We'll see what RJ Barrett becomes. Yaka Pertle, who knows? I think he fits in with the team still. $20 million for some people is a bit rich, but them's the breaks. Um, but yeah. I mean, I guess by comparison, would you have preferred this to Herter, Davian Mitchell, and Harrison Barnes? I prefer this. Yeah. I prefer Indiana. Do I prefer this to perhaps an Indiana trade that, like, had different pieces no you know because yeah. trades trades change over time let's uh-huh. say like if indiana one of one of many teams in the summer poking around is saying well we'd like pascal for the full season and the raptors by all and by they seem to be messaging with darko Darko doesn't really talk about Pascal that much coming into the season. Darko didn't really expect to be coaching Pascal because Pascal was in trade talks for the, I don't know, fifth time in four years, that kind of stuff. He thinks he's coaching a different team, so much so that Pascal doesn't really get touches in the first like couple weeks of basketball. He's has like the same amount of touches per game, like per 36 is like Svi Mihailuk, like that kind of stuff. They don't really know how they're using him. Pascal All this kind the of burn stuff. cutter. Pascal the burn cutter. All this kind of stuff that had to be figured out as the season goes on, you wonder, well, other teams probably would have given more for Pascal since you didn't plan on using him that much. If they had gotten, checks notes, the 38 games that they that he's played so far. So that kind of stuff all shakes out too. But I don't think they got the most out of it. I felt like after the, the OG trade, I was like, this is a tidy little piece of business. I don't I don't necessarily feel that way about this trade, but I mean, I, I'm excited to cover the team. I have to go kind of soon to the arena, actually, and go talk to some Heat players and some Raptors players and some coaches and uh, hear Darko talk about getting like, I guess, different players to coach now. But yeah, the Raptors, a team in flux, in transition. How How good do you think this Raptors team is in the interim, Caitlin? I don't think they're making the play-in tournament. <laughs> no, they, and they probably weren't before that, honestly. And I don't think that should be the intention either. So, I mean, I do think it's possible, like, not to just treat players as assets, but I do think it's possible that whoever said that in the chat about maybe flipping Bruce Brown, that that could be a possibility to... Yep. Yeah, for anybody If you're who's fully watching, rebuilding. For anybody who's watching this, it's been 20, 20 minutes since the last hashtag advertisement, but... I'll say this, if you're still interested in the machinations of the Raptors trades, there's a live podcast, Downtown Toronto at Rivoli. Last year, we sold it out. It's myself and Lewis with other special guests to be announced. And we talk about, you know, the Raptors, the trade deadline, February 6th at Rivoli. You can go to raptorsrepublic.com and buy tickets. Again, last year, we sold it out. And so if you want to meet people who are like-minded, big fans, like talking basketball, listening to it, all that kind of stuff, you can do it there. And you'll have an opportunity to buy a minute basketball t-shirt, which those are all the rage. Caitlin, any final things? Because I actually do have to go to Scotiabank Arena and uh, do my job. The other part of my job, which isn't sitting and talking to a computer and you on the other side of it, of course. At the end of it all, final thoughts. Final thoughts, spicy pacers, let's go. (laughs) Final thoughts, spicy pacers, let's go. Um, for anybody who's joining in now, just feel free to rewind to the start. I think we covered this from all angles. I don't know if we missed anything, did we, Caitlin? We didn't really talk about Kyle Oh, we Lewis. did. We did miss something. Before we hop out of here, I do want to say that I'm a subscriber of Raptors Republic. <laughs> and that if there's any Pacer fans that have hopped in here and you've listened to Samson talk, obviously just the little bit that he's given insights on Siakam, he'll do more for 
my Patreon later and you'll get to hear more from him. But if you don't subscribe to Raptors Republic, I think that you should. I think it's the best coverage of the Raptors written and audio. So that's my big endorsement for him on that side of things as well. So you guys have a good one covering your team. I, that's my earnest hope is that uh, Pacers fans who were particularly attached to Bruce Brown and Jordan Wara, uh, trans, they, they emigrate over and they say, well, Samson's a great writer. And um, for basketball fans like good basketball writing. There you that's, go. That's true. Good basketball writing, good basketball talking. Do you have an opinion on Kyra Lewis? We have a, a comment asking. I have no opinions. I have not seen enough to offer an opinion on a podcast about that. So I have not seen enough either, but I will um, I will offer an opinion. I liked him coming out of the draft, and I talked to a few scouts who liked him. They liked his burst. They were waiting on him to figure out how to play with multiple speeds, and they were hoping for some of his, like, the softer skills like shooting, handling to kind of catch up. And those things haven't come along at the same speed that I think a lot of people expected to. And so it seems to me like he was thrown in so that New Orleans could get under the luxury tax. And I don't know how much he'll figure into what the Raptors are doing at the guard position. We will see, though. And if you are a Raptors fan who's been watching underwhelming guard play from Malachi Flynn, you'll probably see a little bit of underwhelming guard play from Kyle Lewis, but in a different way. It's it's tough to be a guard in the NBA. It's really, really hard to be a good guard, like to get minutes and impact things. You have to be so good at so many things. And he, like Lewis, will probably, a lot of guards they get that second wind after they've like taken some time, gone through a couple teams. Some even go to Europe and come back. There's like skill set development that they need, pacing that they have to figure out. It's a long way. The same way they used to talk about bigs is like, oh yeah, big men, they take a little bit longer to develop because, you know, the NBA runs through the the front court and there's so many, like so much minutia to figure out. It, it's really point guards have a lot on their plate, which is also why I want because he figured everything out really quick. Anyway, Caitlin, that feels like a podcast, yeah? Whatever you say, you're in charge. It's your yeah. show. <laughs> All right, yeah, that feels like a podcast. For anybody who wants uh, more conversation from myself and Caitlin, uh, I will be on her Patreon, and we'll be doing uh, film work on Pascal Siakam. If you are interested in something like that, um, to everybody left in the chat, all 430 of you like the video on your way out it's free it'll take like half a second and it actually helps us a lot and uh, if you are so inclined you can of course if you like supporting independent journalism uh support myself via raptorsrepublic.com and subscribing uh you can subscribe to the youtube channel for free you can also go to raptorsrepublic.com and subscribe with money if you have the means and also subscribe to the best basketball writer in the world caitlin cooper on patreon just type in Caitlin Cooper Patron. You will find it. Basketball, she wrote. Caitlin, that's about it. To everybody who listened to this, thank you so very much. And whether you got into this in the morning or at night, Pascal Siakam, Raptor Forever, and goodbye. We got a podcast.